sins, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen. And that's the only sufficient payment for sin. And the only payment that God the Father will receive. And that's the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. Anybody that goes in, that's how they go in, by faith. In the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to turn to two passages this morning. We're going to turn to Genesis 12. The very first book of the Bible. Genesis, Genesis and chapter number 12. And then we're going to a New Testament passage. In the book of Romans and chapter number 4. So we're in Genesis 12 and Romans and chapter number 4. I'm going to ask you to... Keep your finger in Genesis, if you would, please. And our text for the message this morning will come primarily from Romans 4. But I want you to have Genesis 12 there ready for reference in a moment or two. So you've got Genesis 12 marked and now we're in Romans chapter 4. I'll ask you to stand with me out of respect for the Word of God. Beginning in verse number 1. Romans 4 and verse 1. Follow along, please, and I'll read aloud as you follow. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. Look at me for just a moment. The word justify means to be declared just in the eyes of the judge of the universe, God Almighty. And the Bible said if Abraham were justified by works, he had, would have a reason to glory. He would have a reason to say, look at me, boys. I made it. Look what I did. I worked hard. And, uh, and uh, he said, no, no, no. You can do that in front of other people perhaps, but not before God. He goes on to say, verse 3, For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God. And it, his belief, his faith, it was counted unto him for righteousness. It was not Abraham's working hard to live right that made him just in the eyes of God. No, it was his belief, his faith, his trust in God. Verse 4, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. The word grace means something is given to you not on a merit basis, but unmerited. In other words, you don't deserve it. It's somebody, a gift, for example, uh, would be uh, by grace. If it's truly a gift, it's not something you earned. It's just somebody who's gracious and have the goodness of their heart. When they give you something, there's a description of grace. So salvation is given to us by grace. And, uh, and, and not by works. And he said, if it were by works, then it would have been reckoned, uh, 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 rec it would not be reckoned by grace. In other words, if you could work for it, then it wouldn't be given to you by grace. It would be a debt that was owed to you. So if I could be a good person and earn my way to heaven, heaven would no longer be a gift. Heaven would be something that God owed me. And I got news for you. God doesn't owe us anything. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. We left God. God didn't leave. Why are you mad at God this morning? God didn't leave you. You left God. You left God. 
God, you say, why didn't God do something? He did something 2,000 years ago. He left heaven and put on human flesh and walked on this earth as a man and paid for your sins so you could get back together with the Holy God. Now that justification, that Bible word that means now then you can be reunited with God and declare righteous in His eyes again is not by your goodness. You don't work for it. You don't deserve it. It is by grace. It's unmerited. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But God in His goodness paid the price and wants to give it to us. Hallelujah. <laughs> Look at verse number five. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. You know what makes you acceptable in the eyes of God? What makes you righteous in the eyes of God? It's not your work. It's not your trying to behave yourself. It's not all the good things you've done. It's not your Baptist church membership. It's not the baptistry. It's not your Catholic catechism. It's none of that, my dear friend. It is not by works. It's by the grace of God. And faith means to trust. And when you trust that what Jesus Christ did is enough for your salvation, at that moment when you put your faith in Him, at that moment, you are now righteous in the eyes of a holy God. Amen. What a great salvation. Now drop down with me, if you would, to verse uh, number uh, 16 and follow with me. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. The only way it could be by grace is if it was just a matter of trusting, not earning it. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth, brings to life the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Now he's referring to a promise that God gave Abraham, which we'll read in just a moment. Now verse 18, and here's where I really want you to dial in. Who against hope, talking about Abraham, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Referencing that promise. And being not, look at this, weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. When he was about a hundred years old. It's not talking about he wasn't breathing. He's talking about his biological clock <laughs> at a hundred years of, of age when it comes to having kids uh, you're dead <laughs> that's what he's talking about alright when he was about a hundred years old neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb that's his wife she was 90 so physically speaking <laughs> a hundred year old man and a nine year old woman having a baby you know it just don't happen Verse 20, he, Abraham, staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. I want to speak to you on the subject this morning, what 
faith considers. What faith considers. Heavenly Father, please, through the power of your Holy Spirit, let thy truth be communicated through your servant. Lord, I just want to be a help to your people. I want to be your mouthpiece, Lord. Uh, It's your truth, and I want to convey it. Uh, And so, please, through your Holy Spirit, help me to speak uh, in an understandable way and help these that hear to be able to receive that truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. Don't lose your place in Romans 4, but go to the promise in Genesis 12. Don't lose your place in Romans 4, but go to the promise in Genesis in chapter number 12. The Lord said, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, Unto a land that I will show thee. Look at me for just a moment. Abraham, uh, before, uh, before he was known as Abraham, he's just known as Abram. God came to Abram and he said, Abram, I want you to leave your home. I want to leave your country. I want you to leave your kindred, he mentions here. Leave your grandparents, leave your aunts, leave your uncles, leave your cousins. Leave your father's house, he says. Leave the home place. Leave your mom, leave your dad, leave your siblings. Later on in chapter 13, it would include leaving his nephew Lot, whom he had reared as his own son. And he says in verse number 2, I want you to do this, and the reason is this. I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now look at me for just a moment, if you would, please. This is what we call the Abrahamic covenant. God came and made a promise to Abraham. Abraham was married, had a wife, her name was Sarah, but they had no children. And God came and he said, Abraham, I am going to give you a son. Now, he didn't say when he's going to give him a son, but he said, I'm going to give you a son. He said, I want you to leave everything familiar. I want to leave your home, your land, your family, all things familiar. And I'm going to take you somewhere. And he didn't tell me exactly where he's going. He said, just follow me. I'm going to take you to a place and I'll show you along the way. (laughs) So he just packed up. God said, Go and Abraham packed his family. And said, we're, 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 we're relocating, we're moving. They said, and I'm sure Sarah said, Where are we moving to? He said, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Well, God told me we're moving. Well, how far away is it? He said, I don't know. Well, what's the name of the town? I don't know. <laughs> God told us we're going to go. He said, That's not all. God said, We're going to have a son, honey. She said, We are. He said, Yeah, God said He's going to give us a son. And that's not all. He's going to elaborate later on this promise. He said, we're going to have kids, and we're going to have grandkids, and we're going to have great-grandkids. And God said, we're going to have so many great-grandkids, you can't even count them all. She said, well, I like the sound of that. (laughs) As the stars of the heavens and as the sands of the sea, the Bible would describe it, God would give to Abraham and to Sarah. Now, the Bible said in this promise of making him a a, a nation, his name great, and making him 
a great nation. The Bible said that he would make him a blessing. And he said a promise of divine protection. I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now, can I tell you where this book came from? God used Jewish men, humanly speaking. Now, God is the author of this book. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Amen. Not one jot or tittle, that's the crossing of a T, the dotting of an I, shall pass away till all be fulfilled. This is God's holy word. Amen. But God used human writers to give us the word of God. Peter wrote, uh, holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Holy meaning set apart, not sinless men. Holy meaning set apart. This microphone I'm wearing is set apart not for the singing of a rock and roll music. Not for the singing I ain't nothing but a hound dog. Not for the singing of whatever else. It's, it's set apart for the preaching of God's word. Amen. And it has a purpose. And it would be uh, wrong to use this microphone for any other purpose. In that sense, it's holy or set apart for a particular purpose. And the Bible says that God chose men. He chose the Apostle Paul. He chose Moses, for example. Uh, he chose Peter. He chose Dr. Luke and many others, about 40 different men. He used to pen the Word of God. God, the Holy Spirit, moved on their heart, gave them the words, and they pinned the words down. Amen. And then God promised in Psalm 12 to preserve those words for you and I, and thank God I still have them. Amen. God keeps His promises and I still have his words. But God used human instruments. And you know, uh, you know, Paul was a Jew. Jesus was a Jew. Those descendants of Abraham, the Israelite nation, the descendants of Abraham, have from Genesis 12 on a promise from God that God wanted to use them in a particular way, in one of those ways, first of all, to build a great nation and, 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 to, and to bless the whole earth. And certainly we're blessed by this book. The whole world's been blessed by this book. Amen. And the whole world's been blessed by the Christ child, Jesus Christ, whose miracle birth, born of a virgin. He was a, a, a grew up, a, 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 a son, a, his, a, his stepdad was a carpenter and, and Joseph reared him. He was a, a Jewish young lad that grew up and gave his life on Calvary and the world's been blessed by the good news of Jesus Christ. The world's been blessed by this book right here and God added something to Abraham. He said, now Abraham, he said, if somebody gives you a fit, I'm going to give them a fit. Those who bless you, I'll bless them. Those who curse you, I'll curse them. You go back in your mind and you follow history. And you follow the nations who've risen up against. Even in biblical times, Old Testament times. And into modern times, those who rise up against the nation of Israel. Those who stand against Israel. Listen to me, God's word said it, not the pastor. This is not a political speech. This is Bible. God said, if you curse the nation of Israel, I'll curse you. The worst, the worst foreign policy mistake we could ever make as a nation is to stand against or frustrate or some way uh, hurt and impede the nation of Israel. That's the worst thing we could do. Because to curse them, to be a, a curse to them, is to be a curse to God's people. And God said, you do that and I'll curse you. However, if we bless them, God will bless us. Amen? And that's true. 
Now go with me back, if you would, to Romans. And uh, this promise came to Abraham, but time goes on. And no son. Abraham's getting older. Sarah's getting older. No son. No son. And, 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 and Abraham... Uh, and Sarah, they get, I don't know about this. And Sarah got thinking, she said, good night, I'm, I'm, I'm past childbearing years. Now, I, 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 it's not, I'm just not going to be able to have a child. And I know God promised us a son. But, 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 but and she, unthinkable as it is, Sarah, uh, Sarah had a little, a little handmaid. Uh, by the name, a little servant girl by the name of Hagar, uh, Abraham and Sarah, their faith got weak at one time. They left where God had led them to. They went back down to Egypt because it seemed like it was more prosperous there at the time. And uh, then they came back and got back on track. But while they were down there, they picked up a little servant girl by the name of Hagar. And later on down the road, she's there in the house. She served Sarah and uh, she helped Sarah out uh, with household duties and so forth. And Sarah got the idea that I think it's just not going to work. I'm never going to have a child. And she got discouraged. She got down in the mouth and her faith got weak. And she told Abraham, she said, Abraham, I don't think I'm going to have a child. She said, listen, why don't you have a child with Hagar? And then I'll rear it as my own. Now that's unthinkable, isn't it? We make bad decisions when we start trying to logic things out instead of trusting God. We make bad decisions. But she thought it to be a reasonable thing. It was a good thing she wanted to rear a son. She wanted to rear the son to be God-fearing, but she went about it in her own way. And uh, it didn't work out. And Ishmael, who was the uh, illegitimate uh, son of that relationship... That adulterous relationship is the father of the Arabic nations today. How many understand there's still a little bit of problem between the Arabic nations, Muslim nations, and Israel today? Yeah. And it takes one man's unbelief. One man's unbelief. God, uh, God uh, uh, would later come and honor that rec- uh, his promise. And uh, Abraham would have to, uh, 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 it, was, it was a bad situation. that God didn't create the bad situation. But uh, uh, Abraham and Sarah and Hagar created a bad situation. And it brought brokenness to a little boy. And Ishmael was an innocent little child. And it is not, it's not the child's fault, dear friend. And we ought to think about what we're doing to our kids before we get selfish and figure out and concoct our own plans that don't honor God in His Word. That's what happened to old. That happened to Ishmael. Hagar and Ishmael finally had to leave. And Abraham and Sarah getting older, getting older. And they thought, it's not going to happen. Is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? But Abraham, by the grace of God, even after his tragic mistake uh, and sin, even uh, he continued. And God blessed and honored his word. And God gave Abraham and Sarah a son. She was 90 years old and he was 100 years old and gave him a little boy named Isaac. Now, God can do what God promises to do. Amen. Can you imagine Abraham and Sarah walking to the marketplace with a little bundle of joy? Da, 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 pop, 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 And somebody says, oh, my, uh, is, uh, is this your new grandchild? No. Oh, great-grandchild? Wow. No. Surely not. Great-great-grandchild? No, this is my son. Oh, you're so funny. 
This is my son. Huh? And here a 90-year-old woman and a 100-year-old man. God kept his word, kept his promise, did what only God could do and brought Isaac into the world as a part of God's plan of redemption. God was going to bring through, uh, 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 through Adam's seed, through Abraham's seed, through David's seed, through Judah's seed. Uh, he was going to bring a son into the world like none other. And God uh, said, I've got a plan. And it started all the way back there even before time began. And he made that plan. And in the fullness of time, God brought forth his son made of a woman listen God almighty had a plan and Abraham was part of that plan and his son Isaac was a part of that plan and all the way through and listen to me my dear friend God has a plan for my life and God has a plan for your life and you don't need to logic your way through life you don't need to estimate circumstance you need to get a hold of the fact that God is all wise he loves you he knows what he's doing he's all powerful and he can be trusted amen you don't have to fix your situation. Just believe and trust God. Look with me again, verse chapter 4, verse 18. The Bible says of this old man, Abraham, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be, thy descendants be. And look at this, being not weak, in faith, and he gives some things that he did not consider. He considered not his own body. He considered not that his own body was now dead. He considered not that he was a hundred years old. And verse, verse, phrase, verse 18, who against hope believed in hope. In other words, he looked at a hopeless situation and he believed God. Now, wait a minute. If he, the Bible says, being not weak in faith, considered not these things, then we could turn that around. To be weak in faith is to consider these things. You understand? Let's look at them. Um, who against hope believed in hope? Can I tell you something? You know what weak faith does? Weak faith considers logic. Weak faith considers logic. It was not logical in Genesis 12 for Abraham to leave the place where his home and his family and his business and everything, his security, it made no sense for him to leave and to go and not even know where he's going. But weak faith considers human logic. I think about William Borden. William Borden graduated from high school in, uh, in Chicago in 1904. And, um, and um, he was very, his family was very wealthy. He was set to inherit a tremendous fortune. But at age 16 and into his 17th year of life, his family, his mom and dad said, well, you know what, it would be good for our son to get an education, there was a man that they trusted. It was a family friend. And he said, we're going to send our son. He didn't go on a senior trip. He went on a trip around the world. <laughs> literally a year-long trip. And William Borden, in that trip, he went around the world literally. 
and saw places and cultures and idolatrous practices of false religion and his heart was broken and grieved for the lost and dying who did not know about Christ. It's a fascinating story. He came back with a burden, with a, with a spiritual sense about him that there's something more. The, man, the young man had all, all the money could ever need and, and said to inherit much more. But God broke his heart as he went around the world and he saw the great need for the gospel. He said, you know what? I'm going to give my life to tell folks about Christ who's never heard about Christ. He went off to Yale and uh, his classmates uh, said, boy, there's something about this young man. He's more mature than us. He's more spiritually minded than us. And even those who were training for ministry work like he was training uh, knew there was something special about him. During his college career, William's father unexpectedly passed away. The mother, his mother was a God-fearing woman who so, uh, so uh, wanted him to serve God and was so encouraged that he wanted to be a missionary, encouraged him in that. All of a sudden, the fear of losing her husband and the security of her life uh, slipping away from her, losing her husband. She said to her son, she said, now, son, I know you want to go to the mission field, but you need to reconsider that because your dad's dead now and, and you, somebody needs to stay back and you need to run the family business. And, and, and he said, but mom, I... I, I uh, I surrendered my life to missions. She said, but son, you could, you, could, you could do both. You could do both. You could make money and then you could take, you know, go on trips and things and come back. He said, Mom, I, I, I gave my life to serve Christ. God called me. I know God called me. And I got to go to the mission field. I've got to give the gospel to those who've never heard. She said, well, son, why don't you just be the chairman of the board and you could, you could have a meeting once a year and then the rest of the year you could do mission work and just come back and retain the position as chairman of the board. He said, Mom, I've already told God I'm going to live by faith. William Borden inherited millions which would be multiplied more in this day and time. But it was millions back then, 125 years ago. And he, by faith, gave every single bit of it away so that he could go to the mission field by faith. Can I tell you something? If you walk by faith and not by sight, as the Bible says, your steps of faith will often defy human logic. Look what else he said in verse 19. Being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body. Here's a man. Here's a 90-year-old man. You know what God is saying? Weak faith. Weak faith considers logic. Weak faith considers circumstances. Weak faith considers circumstances. Now I realize, my dear friend, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed and you put it in an all-powerful God, you can move mountains. But the disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. I don't want my faith to stay weak. I want my faith to increase. Well, the Bible says weak faith considers circumstances. Listen, it is the temptation of every believer who was saved by grace through faith then to look at the Christian life and try to logic our way through and look at the circumstances and decide how far we should go with God how much we should commit to the Lord and just how deep should we go in this thing. But faith, listen, that is weak faith. Weak faith looks at the circumstances. You know, we were young when we came here in 1995 and uh, we knew God wanted us to serve Him. I knew that God wanted me to be a pastor. And I didn't know where, but I just knew in my heart. I went to see my pastor. I graduated at age 23 and he said, uh, asked me what I felt God wanted me to do and I knew in my heart God wanted me to be a pastor. I don't know how to explain that. I knew that since I was a little boy. In my heart, I had this desire, and I didn't, I didn't surrender to it necessarily until I was in my teen years. Uh, but I knew it, 
And, uh, and so I told my pastor at age 23, I believe God wants me to be a pastor. He said, well, if you're going to do that, you probably should be at least 25. And I was, I, I was not just young. I looked young. And uh, anyway, uh, so, I, so I went back to school and, and uh, got married and got back to school. And uh, then I turned 25 and I went and saw my pastor again. And uh, I said, uh, Brother House, I, 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 I know God wants me to be a pastor. I'm 25 now. And uh, he said, well, uh, uh, we talked a little bit. He said, well, how do you feel about starting a church? I said, okay, that sounds good. So we drove down here to this area, drove around High Point, actually, and uh, prayed about it and asked the Lord, do you want us to come to Ashburn, uh, excuse me, to High Point area? And we, said, and we felt like that's what God wanted. We went the next Sunday night. We turned our notice in, uh, uh, excuse me, went before the church first, stood up on a Sunday night. And told the church that we are going to start a church. And they said, yay, God bless you. Folks came put their hand on our shoulders. Said, we're praying for you. God bless you. That's wonderful. And, uh, and then uh, we got up uh, Monday morning to, to go to work. We were both working. We didn't have any children. And I said, well, we got to turn our notice in. Now, listen, keep in mind, we had no money put back. None whatsoever. We had no money put back. But I knew God wanted me to be a pastor. And I said, we got to turn our notice in. And uh, she said, okay, we'll go. We'll turn our notice in today. And so uh, we went to turn our two-week notice in on Monday, got back at work on Monday night, picked her up from work, and she said, you turn your notice in? I said, no, did you? She said, no. I said, we got to do this. Okay, we'll do it tomorrow. So, so we went to work the next day on Tuesday, and I worked, and I got done first. I went and picked her up from work, got in the car. Uh, uh, did you turn your notice in? No, did you? She said, yeah, I did. She said, you didn't turn your notice in? No, I will tomorrow. Finally, Wednesday, I got the courage to do what I knew God wanted me to do. And I went to the terminal manager at Consolidated Freightways there in Chicago. And I said, I'm turning my two-week notice in. I'm going to be a pastor. He said, where are you going to be a pastor? I said, in North Carolina. He said, oh, what's the name of the church? I said, I don't know yet. Said, what do you mean you don't know yet? I don't know yet. I'm starting the church. Oh, okay. Word went around the dock. said, uh, uh, they called me minister or preacher man. Preacher man is going to uh, be a pastor. And one guy walked up and said, is it a lot of money in that? I said, I don't know yet. <laughs> uh, and uh, we, we, didn't, we didn't know anything. That was Wednesday. And I got, I got, I got to done with work and went and picked her up from work. And we went in the house, changed clothes. And we went to church on Wednesday night. And we came in from church on Wednesday night. And the phone was on the wall <laughs> back in that day. And the uh, phone was on the wall. And it was ringing. And I picked up the phone, <laughs> picked up the phone. And someone said, we heard that you're coming to uh, North Carolina to start a church. Uh, would you be interested in, in, there's a church in Ashborough that needs a pastor. Would you consider that? Now, literally the day that I took that step of faith, the first contact from this church came. And about three weeks later, we were here by the grace of God. Now, let me tell you something. I don't know if that's supposed to happen that way to you, but I know this. I know that if all you do is look at circumstances and logic things out, it won't make sense when God says, I have something for you. You can trust Him. Amen? You can trust God. Look what he says in verse 19. Being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. Physical limitations. You know what weak faith does? Weak faith considers physical limitations. I, 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 one time, I've been to the Philippines one time, and I preached a, a meeting down there in, uh, right outside of Manila in uh, San Pedro Laguna, about an hour outside of Manila. And, uh, and uh, I preached a 
large church and several thousand people there. And uh, we had uh, a graduation. They had a Bible college. They had a graduation. There's a bunch of youth there. And I preached and I gave an invitation to young people that want to give their life to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And 19 young people came forward and stood up and said, we want to give our lives to serve the Lord. And one of those was a young man with no legs. Made his way up on the platform. <laughs> Can I tell you something? God knows what he's doing. Amen. Some of you were here about 10 years ago when Johnny Hudson came up on this platform. Johnny Hudson was born in 1977. He has no arms. He has one, his, he has a very small left leg, just inches. And, and, uh, and then a right foot. And the doctors don't know how he can use his right foot because his right foot's not attached to anything. The bones are not attached. They don't understand how he can use it except God. He has a foot, a few inches of a leg here, no foot, one foot, no arms, no hands. And they put him in a special school when he was a little boy, four years old, occupational school, but he was feeding himself. He was doing anything and everything. And at five years old, they put him in regular kindergarten. He has a college degree. He's got a master's degree. He's got a doctorate degree. He's preaching in about half the states in the country. He's preached in foreign countries. He came up on this platform and he preached. That's the first time I ever shook anybody's foot. <laughs> He's married and has two children. Rachel came with him, his wife. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I don't know how many people say, yeah, well, you can't do anything. Don't tell Johnny Hudson that. You see, weak faith looks at circumstances. Weak faith looks at logic. Weak faith, faith looks at, at physical limitations. Many of the hymns in your hymn book were written by a blind lady by the name of Fanny Crosby. Dr. David Gibbs tells a beautiful story about preaching at a, at a, at a church and they had a meeting of the soul winners. They we're going to go out and pass out tracts and make house calls and visits and so forth like that. And uh, the pastor got up and says, anybody got a word of testimony for the Lord? And, 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 and a lady, literally, a, a, a lady who was, uh, 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 was uh, uh, paralyzed in a, permanently in a wheelchair, paralyzed, not able to use her arms, not able to use her legs, she said, I want to say something. She said, I want to thank God for a good nose. And everybody said, hey, amen. Praise God, amen. After the meeting was over, the pastor was, uh, had Dr. Gibbs in the car. He said, Dr. Gibbs, you probably wondered about that testimony a while ago. And uh, the lady said, thank God for a good nose. He said, yeah, that was kind of a curious testimony. He said, let me tell you something, let me show you. And that little lady in her wheelchair paralyzed will go out with the soul winners and get in front of a shopping center she had a little knapsack on the back of her, of her motorized wheelchair and uh, she put her bible in it and she stand out there in front as people walk in the shopping center she said could you help me for a minute people stop say she said i have a book in my knapsack can you pull it out and they'd reach in there it's a bible they pull it out she said could you put it here in front of me she had a little tray in front of her and they put it in front of her. She said, I'd like to show you something, if I could. And, of course, they're standing there. She'd take her nose. The Bible said in Romans 3.10, 
As it's written, there's none righteous. No, not one. The Bible said in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. Woo! Somebody say amen. I wonder how many people have looked at physical limitations and the circumstances of our lives and, 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 uh, and, and human logic and said, you know, I would if I could. Oh, listen to me, my dear friend. That's what weak faith does. Weak faith looks at, at circumstances. Weak faith looks at physical limitations. Weak faith looks at appearances. Here's a hundred-year-old man. Weak faith looks at logic. But turn, uh, it's a turn the page for me, over into verse number 20. And look what, uh, look what strong faith does verse number 20 says he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief but was strong in faith giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform you know what strong faith does strong faith looks at the promises of God Strong faith looks at the promises of God. Maybe this morning you're weak in faith and loneliness is crushing you. May I give you this promise from Hebrews 13, 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Maybe you're afraid this morning. I say to you what God said in Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Maybe you're weary this morning. I say to you what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I say to you what Galatians 6, 9 says to those of you that are weary. Be not weary in well-doing. For in due season ye shall reap if you faint not. If you're burdened, cast your burdens upon the Lord and He shall sustain thee. If you're discouraged, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and He shall strengthen thine heart. And there are scores and scores and scores of promises that God gives in His Word for your situation and what you're facing right now today. Strong faith considers the promises of God. Adoniram Judson ran into an atheistic man. His dad, was a, his dad was a clergyman. His dad was a pastor. Adam Judson went off to, to college and, and found somebody who, who was smart enough to question God. And by the way, can I tell you what questions mean? The, the Pharisees did this. They said, we don't know where he's from. Somebody said, this man uh, uh, is uh, uh, from, uh, from Nazareth. He said, well, we don't, we don't know where he's from. Just because you don't know something doesn't mean it's not knowable. People fancy themselves smart because they can ask questions. Because, listen, if you don't know something, I don't mean this in a demeaning way, but if you don't know something, it just proves one thing, that you don't know something. Ignorance only proves one thing, ignorance. <laughs> because you don't have the answer doesn't mean there's no answers. And can I say this? Uh, uh, here's a man, Adonai Judson, went off uh, uh, to college and ran into one of these uh, smart Alex and, uh, and, and, and uh, called himself a deist. Well, but there's a God. Well, maybe there's a God, but there's a God if he doesn't care about me and this and that. And turned Adonai's heart against the faith of his parents. And true story, Mr. Eames was his name, E-A-M-E-S. Look up the story. It's a fascinating story. Mr. Eames uh, 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 destroyed Adonai Judson's faith. Adonai Judson was traveling by horseback, traveling, and stopped a little roadside inn because it wasn't going to make it to his destination. It was late at night. And stopped at the inn and said, uh, can, do you have a room? I'm, I'm tired. I'm not going to be able to make it. They said, you, well, we don't really. But he said, what do you mean? He said, I, need, I really need a place to rest. He said, well, 
He said, we do have a bed. He said, but you, you, you wouldn't want it. He said, why not? He said, because it's just a thin separation, a curtain or something separating you in the, in the bed next, and the man in the next bed is dying, and, and it's not a pretty sight. He said, I don't care. He said, I got to rest. He said, I'm weary. He said, I, I said I'm telling you, 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 you won't want that. He said, no, I'll give it to me. And Adoniram Judson went and laid down on that bed and a thin, a, a, a thin partition separated he and the man that was dying. And he listened for several hours as the man groaned his way to the wee hours of the morning crying, and I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm miserable. And the cries and the agony of, of a man who died an agonizing death with no hope. Adonai Judson, the wee hours of the morning, finally drifted off to sleep, was able to sleep a while. When he woke up, there were people by a fireplace in that inn sitting around talking. And Adonai Judson came uh, and he said, uh, uh, he said, whatever happened to that man last night? And the innkeeper said he died. Adonai Judson inquired, so what was the man's name? The man's name was Eames. And Adonai Judson realized that the, that the, the atheistic man who turned his faith away from God, he listened to him die, not knowing who he was. Adonai Judson got on his horse instead of going to his destination, went back to his house, got on his knees before his mom and dad, asked, asked forgiveness, gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ and became a missionary. Amen. He went to Burma. Now listen to this story. He went to Burma. He was there for six years without a single person receiving Christ by faith. It was, night, it was 1824 and war broke out between England and Burma, and any English-speaking person they considered a spy. Adonai Judson was arrested, though he's a missionary, he was arrested as a spy. He was tortured for an entire year. He was so shaken, he contemplated suicide. His wife would have to bring him food just to, to survive. They'd string him up. The London Missionary Society was the one who had sponsored them and sent them out. In six years and no converts and very little word from the field. And they sent a letter over and his wife received the letter. She brought the letter to the prison. And Adonai Judson is hanging by his thumbs in a Burmese prison being tortured. And his wife reads a letter and says, The London Missionary Society is asking this question. What are the future prospects of the gospel of Jesus Christ in Burma? In other words, where are the results? And Adonai told his wife, write back and tell them that the prospects of the gospel in Burma are as bright as the promises of God. Adonai Judson stayed. Adonai Judson buried a wife. He buried his children. His heart was broken. He just about lost his faith, but he stayed and he continued and God worked a great work and revival came to Burma. And listen, we have missionaries in Thailand right now that cross the border, even though it's illegal, and they go over into Burma and they meet, on a, they meet with people who are second and third generation converts from those whom Adonai Judson won to Christ. They're still using materials that Adonai Judson uh, translated himself. And I got news for you, the promises of God, the the promises of God can be trusted. What God says he will do. And you can look at circumstances and you can logic things out. Or you can look at what God said in his word. And you can put your faith and trust in God's word. Strong faith uh, 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 considers the promises of God. Look what else in verse number 20. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief but was strong in faith giving glory to God. 
I know this is tender, and I, Miss Patsy, so gracious to tell these stories. But uh, one of her sons is already with the Lord, and um, he was lying in a hospital bed. It seemed impossible that he could live. And she's standing on one side of the bed. I'm standing on the other side of the bed. If he were to live, he would, he would never, never be the same. Never be able to take care of himself, never. And she stood on one side of the bed. She looked at me through tears. She said, Pastor, I don't even know how to pray. How do I even pray? And we agreed together that we would just pray for God to be glorified in that terrible, terrible tragedy. And we stood over her son, who would go into eternity just a little while later. And we said, God, whatever you do, bring glory and honor to your name in this situation. Can I tell you something? You know what faith does? Faith considers the glory of God. That's why Job, when all of his ten children were killed, when Job lost all of his business ventures, when Job lost everything, could say, the Lord hath given and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Can I tell you something? We're in a a broken world and this world is broken because of man's sin. But there's a God in heaven who loves us and he is good all the time. And he deserves to be lifted up and glorified, not blamed. Listen, you're mad, you're ticked off at the very one who loves you and proved his love by giving his son on the cross. The one who can help you. The one who can take your tragedy and your heartache and the injustices you've, you've, you've gone through and turn it around and make something good out of it. He did it for Joseph. He did it for David. He did it for Job. He's done it for hundreds and millions of saints through the years. If you'll get your eyes off of circumstances and human logic and get your eyes on the promises of God and get your eyes on the glory of God and you can watch God take your circumstances and He be exalted in that and others look to Him and see Him in the tragedy, in the awfulness of circumstances and He's lifted up. That's what faith does. Faith looks to the glory of God. And lastly, verse 21, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. Faith looks at the character of God. He's able. He's able. I know he's able. I know my Lord is able to carry me through. He healed the brokenhearted and he set the captive free. He made the lame to walk again and he caused the blind to see. He's able, he's able, I know he's able. My Lord is able to carry me through. Strong faith looks at the character of God. My friends, listen to me. God is all wise and God is all powerful. Now here's here's what the world does. The world takes those two characteristics of God and twists it to make God some unfeeling cynic. Well, if God is all wise and God is all powerful, why doesn't he fix this and fix this and fix this? And the answer is because God is also all loving. And if I... Now, I am bigger and stronger than him. But if I, I'm trying to find somebody. 
if I do this to get him to do what I think he ought to do, whatever you call that, you can't call it love. And it would require God to go against his loving nature to force people to do what he thinks ought to be done. And think how twisted it would be for him to force people to to do what you think he ought to do. And you're not all wise. But he is all wise and he is all powerful. But he's also loving. Amen. And God's power and God's wisdom is such that he can even take evil things and turn them around for good. Thank you. Joseph's brothers uh, uh, hated him. They, they, they uh, kidnapped him. They put him in a pit. They plotted to kill him. Then they sold him into slavery. And 13 years later, God takes him out of prison where he was unjustly accused and makes him the second in command to the Pharaoh of Egypt. It's a famine. They come to Egypt looking for food and come to find out the little brother they saw sold into slavery is now in charge of the food that they have to have and and, 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 and dad dies and they're convinced now that he's going to have us executed and they come in they fall on their face they say brother please I know dad's dead but please don't disrespect his memory please don't kill us now and he began to weep he said stand up and he embraced him he said you meant it for evil but God meant it for good to save much people alive Lives were saved because God got Joseph to second in command in Egypt and he used evil intentions of evil men and wicked men and turned it around for good. No, God's not your robot. God's not going to jump when you say jump. He's not going to say how high when you think, well, God's not fair, God this and God that. Won't you let God be God? He is all powerful and he's all wise and he's all loving. And a loving God does not come and grab us up and force us this way or that way. You're the same people who talk about people shoving religion down your throat. And, that's, and you make that. You can't say that on one side and then turn around and act like God's supposed to do that. You can't have it both ways, friend. You can choose one logic or the other. If it's wrong for somebody to force religion in your throat, then it's wrong for God to force it down somebody's throat. Hello? But God's not going to do that. Why? Because he's all loving. And he says, whosoever will can come. If you can believe God and his word, what he did for us, and by faith you can come, and you can be forgiven, and you can be saved. That's not going to fix all the problems in this world, but it'll keep you out of hell, number one. But number two, you become God's child, and you can begin to walk with him and watch him take circumstances and do things you never thought possible. Would you bow your heads, please?